And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Parasite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 207 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Negley. A time of recording is 11.10 a.m. on August 16th, 2020. Here to join me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Nicole Ackman. Hi, everybody. And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Okay, so we have a couple of different things to talk about this week, mostly some uh, developments uh, within the film world, as per usual. Uh, We're also going to talk about the trailer for an upcoming Netflix film, The Devil All the Time, with a very, very stacked all-star cast. And we're going to make the announcement here for the 2014 MVP Film Community Award nominations voted on by you, the MVP Film Community. Very, very exciting. We've been doing a 2014 retrospective over the last couple of months, and it is coming to an end in basically two weeks time with our final two reviews for Birdman and Gone Girl. So nominations have been tallied. They've been handed in. Going to make that announcement today. Before I actually kick us off first uh, with what everybody has been watching this week, I do want to actually take a moment to say congratulations to Clayton Davis over at Award Circuit. It was announced this week that he will be moving over to Variety as their head awards editor. AwardCircuit.com has always been a good friend of NextBestPicture.com, and Clayton, I personally uh, see him as a mentor of sorts. I've been a big, huge fan of his for many, 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 many years, and everything that him and the team have done at Award Circuit. It's a very massive accomplishment and we could not be happier for Clayton. Yeah, so much great news for him and very, very well deserved. Yeah, a huge congratulations to him. Yeah, absolutely. He's been in the game a long time and this is very, very well deserved. All right, so we're gonna kick things off first and foremost with what everybody's been watching at home this week. Uh, Let's hear from Michael Schwartz first. Well, I'm here to shock everyone because I saw a movie for the first time this week from 2000, because I'm going back and catching up with some films as they celebrate their 20th, 20th anniversary. I've never seen this movie. I really had no plans to see this movie, but I felt like I had to just to be part of the ongoing cultural conversation. Definitely not a Schwartz film in any way, shape, or form, but solid nonetheless, and that is American Psycho. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow, yeah. that's right. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, it was one of those things I was looking through Peacock, and they had it there. And I thought, eh, eh, we're home now. Better now than, you know, any other time. Why not? And Christian Bale's very good. Can't say it's my type of movie, but it's well done. And there's really much more to say about it that hasn't been said already. So, yeah, listen to people who are a little more enthusiastic about it than I am. But I could cross it off a list and say that I've seen American Psycho now. I will say that American Psycho is a movie that was way ahead of its time, I think. And it's one of those movies that, especially for young men, you watch it at a certain age, you think it's one thing. 
And then as you get older, you realize it's an entirely different thing. It's kind of like that with that realization when you realize that Fight Club has all this like homoeroticism in it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So American Psycho is a lot is a lot like that in many ways. Where as you get older, you realize, oh, I like this for totally immature and stupid reasons when I was younger. But as you get older, you're like, nope, this movie has a lot on its mind. It actually has a lot to say. Um, and audiences, I just don't think were able to catch on to it at the time. So that was the first movie I saw this week. And then the second movie I saw this week was actually more disturbing than American Psycho, believe it or not. It was a documentary called Boys State. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very well shot. Uh, I give them props for, you know, filming these speeches and large rallies at the Boys State convention in, I think, 2018. And you get to see some really amazing people and some really horrifying people. And I walked away thinking more about the horrifying people. And I'm usually more a glass half full type of person, but just the rambunctious masculine energy stuffed into these large auditoriums in Texas uh, made me really uneasy, some of it. But it's well shot. If you have Apple TV Plus, you should check it out. But just know that uh, you're going to feel one way or another way about, you know, what these kids are up to. So I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, we're not going to really get a chance to review this one here on the show. So I'll just say very, very quickly that I, too, Michael, had times while watching it where I was equally as enraged at some of the behavior and just the posturing that some of these uh, young men uh, were doing in order to gain political favor. But what I think the documentary does that is so incredible is it really is um, a testament to how if we're able to just listen to one another and work together, um, we can put aside political differences and compromise and actually achieve something great. And at times, I think that the movie does deliver on that. And there are other times where there are crippling blows to it as well. It's never uh, clear cut and dry. It's always a little messy. But there is a um, when they get to the announcements, you know, they are announcing who's going to uh, win the uh, the offices at the end. Uh, during that announcement, I was on the edge of my seat. I had no idea what was going to happen. And I got surprisingly quite emotional uh, at the end, because I got really, really invested in um, the one uh, character, uh, Steve. Uh, what was his name? Garcia. Uh, I really don't remember uh, the way that he was listening to people, not really putting himself out there in a boisterous way to just gain anyone's vote, but really just doing things uh, in a way that, you know, you could feel good about getting into politics, watching like how he operated through everybody's uh, different viewpoints. And it was I don't know. I, I, I did walk away from it uh, half full instead of half empty, I'll say. I would like to see a documentary about Girl State. Yes. Where's the, yeah. where's the sequel? Let's let's do it. <laughs> I, I felt like for as impressive as the filmmaking was here, it was giving me glimpses of stuff that I really didn't feel as if I needed to see. I will say that I very much looking forward to a potential sequel, which, you know, we've seen in documentaries before. Uh, Super Size Me had a, had a sequel um, the act of killing had a sequel can be done. Yeah. Yeah. And I really did enjoy boy state too. I agree with you, Michael, that some of the stuff in there can be rather, uh, as you said, kind of disturbing, but I think that movie does showcase the optimism in politics too. And at the end of that movie, I think you do get this emotional catharsis that really shows you what it means to have this connection with people, even if, everything doesn't go completely to the plans that you set out for. So I, I do understand that, yes, there's some stuff in there that is 
not great in terms of our politics, but I think it does show the potential for the good side of it as well. And that's what I really enjoyed about that movie. For sure. And that's by far the best part about it. There were just elements in there, like when you hear, you know, these 17 year old teenage boys shouting about freedom and liberty and just stuff like that. I'm like, oh, I'm cringing here. And of course, that's my own personal biases going into this movie. But Oh, and also not very dissimilar to what adults do in politics as well. You know, it's quite revealing. Yeah, it it was an interesting watch. Like, you know, I I might sound mixed right now, but I do recommend this movie. So if you have Apple TV Plus, go check it out. All right. Awesome. Let's hear from Nicole. So I watched quite a few movies this week, mostly 2014 movies that I was watching as I was finishing up my 2014 retrospective ballot for the MVP awards. Uh, I watched The Immigrant for the first time, which Hmm. I was absolutely stunned by. Uh, Marion Cotillard is so good in that. I'm not normally a big Joaquin Phoenix fan, but I really liked his performance in it. I thought the cinematography was stunning. It's definitely one of my favorite 2014 movies that I've watched, and I've been watching quite a few of them in the past couple of months. I also watched Beyond the Lights, which uh, Dan Bayer had told me I had to watch since I'm big of, such a big fan of Kaguma Batha Ra. Yep. And it did not disappoint. She's fantastic in it. Minnie Driver is fantastic in it. I really enjoyed some of the music aspects of it. Uh, really enjoyed that one. And I also watched Begin Again, which I had not seen before. Yeah. And I loved that movie. I liked it so much more than I thought that I would. I really appreciated what they did with the plot of it and how they could have easily taken it into like a a romance rom-com kind of place and they didn't. I thought Keira Knightley was great in it. I really enjoyed the music of it. Uh, And I also just love seeing Haley Steinfeld in things from when she was a bit younger and, you know, looking at her career trajectory now. Um, there's that whole like plot line where they're like, oh, well, like, I don't know if she can play guitar, like, which is just funny now that she's also a musician. Um, aside from those things. Oh, and I also watched Birdman last night uh, to prep for the podcast on this coming week. So fit in a lot of 2014 movies. I also watched a screener for a review that I've got coming up and I watched The Hours, which I've watched a couple of times before. But my sister, who's 17, loves that movie and she wanted to get my mom and my dad to watch it and so she asked me to come over to um help explain some of it because I don't know if anyone else has one of those dads that like whenever you watch like a very deep movie sometimes like you gotta you gotta pause it and be like okay let's review (laughs) (laughs) um so I was called in for for backup (laughs) but it was a really good week of movie watching for me a lot of things that really surprised me which is always exciting nice awesome and Josh Parham well, most of my week was spent watching um, older movies that were mostly just sort of cheesy horror films that weren't very good, but that's usually my life. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of um, newer stuff that I saw, uh, I did see the new Netflix film Project Power, which there is a podcast review of it that you can check out. I was not that big of a fan of that one. In fact, you probably could say that I kind of hated it, but, you know, it's there. It's on Netflix if you want to check it out. Um, But I did also see another Netflix movie this week, one that I had been meaning to catch up with, the documentary Mucho Mucho Amor about Walter Mercado. And that one, uh, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't say that I thought it was a great movie, um, but just in terms of this exploration into somebody that I didn't have that much information on and just detailing his very vivid and extraordinary life was 
a very interesting journey to go through. And like I said, I don't think in terms of a biopic documentary, it does anything that is exceptional in terms of the filmmaking. But the story is very captivating and he's a very interesting figure at the center of it. So if it interests you even the slightest, I would definitely say that it's worthy to to be checked out. All right. Awesome. Very, very good. Um, I had quite a productive week uh, here, so I'm going to do my best to uh, get through it as, as quickly as I can. I watched, I guess, uh, rewatched Boyhood. Yeah, for the podcast. Might as well get that out of the way. <laughs> um, podcast review on that I thought was really well done, and I really highly recommend people check out our conversation on that. Um, I watched uh, Project Power, as Josh said, another podcast review that we were a part of, and I, too, was not a fan of it. So you can definitely head on over to listen to us just talk about how much we don't like that movie. Um, and then I also watched uh, something that I can't tell you all about, but I am dying to tell you all about. Ah, soon, soon, I promise. I'm thinking of telling you guys things. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I, uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey Podcast! Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey Podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey Podcast is so much better. Absolutely, for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in Movie Journey Podcast. The IMDb Journey Podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey Podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. <laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. News of the week. First up, we found out that Azazel Jacobs' French Exit is going to be closing uh, the New York Film Festival uh, this year, and it's going to be making its world premiere, instantly giving Michelle Pfeiffer, in my opinion, a platform for a campaign for Best Actress, possibly. What do you guys think about uh, the premise for this movie? Uh, it co-stars Lucas Hedges and also Tracy Letts as a talking cat. I mean, you had me at Tracy Letts as a talking cat. <laughs> Same. I think with that cast, I would be willing to watch it no matter what it was. But I'm really intrigued by it. Azel Jacobs, his previous film, The Lovers, was a really good. So I'm interested to see what he's doing here at adapting this book. It's only a couple years old. I think it came out in 2017 or 2018. So it's still fairly new. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, I mean... In the past, we've had NYFF premieres that on paper looked really good, but they did underwhelm. So I'm keeping, you know, things close to the chest here. I'm trying to like Marvelous Brooklyn <laughs> is, is one example that comes to mind or Last Flag Flying or Wonder Wheel. So it could be something really great, but 
my gut tells me that the talking points of this year's New York Film Festival will most likely be the Steve McQueen Small Axe Anthology and also uh, Nomad Land, which is uh, going to every single one of the festivals. So it's pulling a uh, marriage story this year. Yeah, but you know, new Michelle Pfeiffer project, you have to get excited no matter what. Oh, are you kidding? Absolutely. And if she's, uh, you know, a, a big deal, then the best actress race is definitely going to get a shot in the arm. I mean, you know, looking at all the contenders that that race has so far, it's pretty stacked already, sight unseen mostly. Some of them are going to have to fare better than others because, my lord, I can't imagine a season where we have Michelle Pfeiffer, Amy Adams, like Viola Davis. It's just like it's too much, <laughs> too much. <laughs> Kate Winslet. I won't know where to. Uh, I won't know where to cast my allegiance. You know. <laughs> The Toronto Film Festival announced that they are honoring Anthony Hopkins, Chloe Zhao, and Mira Nair this year, uh, which makes sense in a lot of ways. Uh, You have Anthony Hopkins with The Father, expected to be a big Best Actor play for uh, the Academy Award winning actor. And then you also have uh, Chloe Zhao's uh, Nomadland, as I mentioned before. And Mira Nair's TV series uh, called The Suitable Boy. Uh, a miniseries, if you will. I believe that that is, uh, she's directing, I think, all of the episodes, if I remember correctly. So I think that that's making its uh, premiere over at uh, TIFF. Always important to play, pay attention to the tributes because, you know, it kind of sets the stage in many ways for people's awards campaigns. Yeah, and with Hopkins and Zhao in particular, like, yeah, it's definitely something you need to keep an eye on. Uh, we got our first look at Sofia Coppola's On the Rocks. No trailer yet, but uh, we had some stills released by Entertainment Weekly. Going to be released later this year uh, on Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, it was produced uh, by A24. I'm super excited. I'm a big fan of uh, Sofia Coppola's work. I think that everything that she does, even if I don't love it, I still find it really interesting and really fascinating. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, I am on the opposite end with Sofia Coppola. I've actually yet to see a movie that has really wowed me in terms of like really liking her. I respect her work, but I've never really been that enthusiastic about it. So I would be lying if I would say that I am particularly looking forward to this, but I am open to be surprised. I'm on the rocks. Well, her most beloved film is a previous collaboration with Bill Murray, Lost in Translation, which he won the Oscar for original screenplay for. And she said in uh, the article, I never thought I could do something with Bill again because people have such a fondness of him and Lost in Translation. I could never recreate something like that, so I never wanted to touch it. But all this time has passed, and I loved working with him, and I love seeing him in film. We haven't really seen him as this debonair playboy father at this stage of his life, so I just had to get over it because now we're in a different phase of life. So I'm excited for the reteaming of uh, that pairing, especially considering, I mean, I, I, listen, I know people love Bill for his comedy, but Lost in Translation is definitely one of his best performances, if not the best, in my opinion. Wait, I just want to say something about that quote. She said that she hasn't worked with him since Lost in Translation. They literally did a Netflix special together in 2015, and they got Emmy nominated, A Very Merry Christmas. Only Michael Schwartz, people. Only Michael Schwartz. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just reminding her of her own movie with her star. When they work together, I guess they're two for two already. So see what this one is. Has anyone here seen A Very Merry Christmas? I have. No. <laughs> I know you have. You brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> I have not. No. Yeah, me neither. So <laughs> maybe maybe they're ignoring their own history. 
Uh, we also got the rest of the lineup for the 2020 New York Film Festival. Uh, Josh, I'm sure that you scoured this uh, because obviously there's a lot of international feature uh, competition possibly hiding in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, was there anything that like stood out to you? You know, we did get some run times uh, for some of these films. And, you know, first of all, I'll just say like Lover's Rock, for example, which is like the opening night film is 68 minutes long. So it's already uh, highly anticipated for most people. <laughs> I'm just saying that, like, it is highly anticipated in the sense that, yes, it'll be a quick get in, get out. And also, too, it's Steve McQueen. But I maintain I do not believe that this is going to be an Oscar play. I believe this is more of an Emmys thing. Yeah, I still find that that's probably going to be television. The other thing about what's so difficult about some of these lineups now is because and especially for the foreign contenders, Usually can is so helpful with that, but because we didn't have that this year, it's like you're kind of blindly guessing. So a lot of these movies are seem to be very much under the radar, but I also feel like that's a really, as I said before, a great launching pad for a discovery of something that doesn't already have the hype around it. You know, it could really be something that you can look and it's like, oh, I didn't even know about this. And now suddenly it's something that I can talk about. And then also too, uh, you know, I just mentioned before how Lover's Rock is 68 minutes long. City Hall, the Frederick Wiseman documentary, is 272 minutes long. Okay. 272? Like, no, thank you. Dear God. <laughs> uh, there's a Romanian film in here, actually, somewhere uh, that's 200 minutes long called uh, Malmkrog. Which I read the description of that, and that actually sounded really interesting. And you guys know I love period epics, so I'm all about that. <laughs> uh, MLK FBI by Sam Pollard. Uh, we saw that that was also um, supposed to be playing at TIFF. I believe that's the uh, Martin Luther King. Yeah, and um, they've also got the new Christian Petzl movie that um, uh, they've got that. And I'm very interested in any new movie that he's doing. His last movie was Transit, which I thought was really interesting. So very intrigued to see what his follow up will be. Yeah. A nice, brisk 90 minutes long. Exactly. And then also, too, um, this film played at the Berlin International Film Festival, The Woman Who Ran. Uh, Bianca Gardner wrote a review of that and it's up on Next Best Pictures. So we already have that. So that's cool. Yeah. But overall, I, I never expected that this year's slate was going to blow us away, just like kind of all of the uh, slates for the uh, the film festivals at Toronto, Venice. You know, this is just a weird year. It's a weird year. And like you said, Josh, we don't have can this year to be able to tell us which of these international features are going to possibly be the ones with the biggest buzz. So we're going to just have to put our ears to the ground and do our best to figure out where the buzz is growing. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is also looking at the filmmakers who are attached to it. I would say that's probably going to be the biggest indicator of what to look out for if they're directors who have had acclaimed work in the past. That's probably going to be weighted heavy this year. Yeah. Um, and then also too, Martin Scorsese has struggled with Silence and the Irishman to receive funding for those last two films. Welp, no more. He has signed a first-look deal with Apple, who are going to be uh, giving him the freedom to direct, produce, film, television projects exclusively for Apple TV+. Plus. So Marty can make films until the day he dies and pretty much do whatever he wants. So 
That's nice in my book. So what the streaming platforms are going to give these filmmakers now. I mean, it's kind of incredible, right, to see how somebody who was such a uh, adamant supporter of actual film, you know, how they're able now to kind of realize how much the streaming services like Netflix, Apple are really not trying to destroy film, but ultimately try to preserve and save the creative vision of the artists. Well, they're very interested in getting talent to work for them and the best way to do that is to say hey you are a great director that is struggling to get your big movies finance here's 200 million dollars for you go work for us until you die (laughs) it's a good strategy (laughs) it it is right (laughs) i I haven't heard a single uh person for example that's ever worked with netflix that has had like a bad thing to say about their partnership with them so Uh, And now uh, what I want to do is this. I want to transition over to uh, the polls uh, really quick. I want to announce the uh, winners of last week's poll here in regards to working with streaming services. Disney Plus, Mulan, September, $30. Oof. There's a lot of discussion about that still. Mm -hmm. We asked everyone which movie they would be willing to pay $30 to watch on premium VOD right now. Like, don't even blink your eye. Just $30. Take my money. I'm ready to watch this. Michael, which movie is that for you? Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Nicole. I have honestly an embarrassing amount that I would pay that much for at this point, but my number one is In the Heights. Josh? I think it would surprise absolutely nobody that my answer is No Time to Die. These were all very characteristic responses, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I I have a lot of answers to this question. So, like, like Nicole, there's so many movies I'd be willing to do it for. Uh, but yeah. so it's like a tough question for me to answer because I also have this inevitable feeling that deep down we are going to eventually all see these on the big screen fairly soon anyway. So... I feel like Tenet's been overdone at this point. Like, it's been talked to death where it's like, all right, just like, I just want to see it already. So the hype is like kind of dwindled a bit for me. So I'll I'll, I'll go to Dune for now. Um, I, I feel like my attention is going to definitely switch more towards that uh, once Tenet finally gets seen by people in a few days. But let's see what the MVP film community would drop money for. Number 10. Oh, man, I probably should have said this one. This is true. The Green Knight. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. God, yeah. That, the people are looking forward to that one for sure. Yeah, you were going to see it at uh, South by Southwest, right? Yep, I was supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Number nine is Wonder Woman 1984. Love the first film. Can't wait for the sequel. Yeah. Number eight, In the Heights. I would drop an embarrassing amount of money to watch that movie right now. Yeah, yeah Nicole <laughs> and I would drop a lot more than $30 to see that right yeah. now. That movie's going to be like serotonin straight to my brain. <laughs> Number seven, Black Widow. Yes. <laughs> Number six, Promising Young Woman. Another one I would drop an embarrassing amount of money on. Number five, No Time to Die. All right. Number four, Ammonite. Ooh, wow. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Number three, The French Dispatch. Yeah, although with the French Dispatch, I would almost want to wait and see that in the theater. Same. Well, I think all of these movies I would really rather. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But if I had to pick something, yes, I I would pick a movie. But honestly, yeah, No Time to Die. I would rather see it in a theater. There's not a single one of these that I would prefer to watch at home rather than in the theater. Um, 
but I want to see them. Yeah. In in some capacity. <laughs> uh, number two is Dune, and number one, no surprise, is Tenant. Yeah. What? <laughs> Which you know, like I said, our good friends over in the UK and other places in the world are going to get to see it in a few days. It's fine, and I'm sure a lot of us will accidentally see pieces of it <laughs> scrolling through our feeds or through Reddit. So no time to beef up all my muted words on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for this week's poll for the Disney Plus release of the one and only Ivan, we are asking everyone for their favorite live-action film with talking animals. Kind of a broad interpretation here, I would say. What do you guys got? Well, it just turned 25 this month. Uh, It celebrated a big anniversary, so I'm going to go with Babe our Best Picture nominee from 1995, which is just such a wonderful movie. Great sequel, too. Babe Pig in the City is really underrated. But the original is an absolute classic. And if you haven't seen Babe, what are you waiting for? That is a movie that I have not seen in such a long time. So I feel like I really do need to revisit it. But I'm sure that it's great um, from everything that I do remember about it and like little bits I've seen here or there. Probably should be the correct answer. But I think I'm going to go for just a pure nostalgia pick, which is the Eddie Murphy, Dr. Doolittle. Oh, my God, yeah. I just have such affection for that movie. So much fun back in the day. When I was a kid, that movie was hysterical. I mean, that gerbil was the best. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Nicole, what about you? Similarly, I don't know that I would say this is like the best talking animal movie, but a nostalgic pick for sure is Look Who's Talking Now. (laughs) which I was weirdly obsessed with as a child. Like, I don't really get it looking back. But I used to watch that movie, and the first one, too, so much. And I loved those dogs, man. So I've got to go with that. And I'm going with a nostalgia pick as well. I watched this movie so many times on VHS as a kid. I honestly don't even know why. I think just the idea of animals... And seeing them have ideas and talking was just so cool to me. It's Homeward Bound. Oh, my God. I love Homeward Bound. It's a masterpiece. (laughs) I I, I won't go that far. But I also remember having nightmares of the scene where um, the porcupine uh, gets, um, what's that dog's name? Chance? Oh, my God. The porcupine. Yeah, like right in the face. Oh, my God. I used to have like nightmares about that. Aren't, isn't there another scene where they're like in like a mud pit or something and they are struggling to get out? Yes. Yeah, that was the other scene that used to get me a lot, too. But uh, Michael J. Fox, Sally Field. Oh, yeah, it's so good. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Never seen That's it. That's a good pick. You've never seen Homeward Bound, really? The Incredible never Journey? Seen Homeward Bound. Oh my gosh. Well, that's like an like an early 90s Disney movie, so I, it might have been like just sort of out of your time frame. I will say yeah. though, if it, I, I believe it is on Disney Plus, so <laughs> like half of the movie. Michael, I think you would enjoy it actually. I really think you would too. It's actually on my list, so fear not, I will see Homeward Bound sooner or later. Sally Field is the cat. Yep. Yeah. What's not to love? And her and her name is Sassy. <laughs> oh my God, Sassy. <laughs> love it. All right, so head on over to the polls page at nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote there. Let us know what your favorite talking animal movie is. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys all so very, very much all the time for your votes. And that's a little bit of a prelude to our MVP Film Community Award nomination announcement later. But first, before we get to that, let's talk about a trailer. 
Let's talk about a trailer for Netflix. The Devil All the Time. Mm. I don't want to say it's like one of the most anticipated Netflix films that's supposed to come out this year. Um, obviously, Hillbilly Elegy, Mank, Trial of the Chicago 7, I think, are the ones that us Oscar bloggers have been keeping our eyes on a little bit more so. But this has a really, really stacked cast. And Antonio Campos previously did direct uh, Christine, which uh, got a lot of great notices. So very, very curious to see how this one plays out. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Give some thoughts. Happy birthday, Happy Arlen. birthday, honey. Happy birthday to you. Well, this was your daddy's. Brought back from the war. Fair's time to pass it on. the best present I ever got. Thank you. How and why people from two points on a map without even a straight line between them can be connected is at the heart of our story and knock them stiff. You ever think about how we ended up orphans living in the same house? I know what my daddy did. Some people would say it's just dumb luck. You take pictures? I do. I see a smile pretty enough to photograph, that is. Others would tell you it was God's plan. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That ain't no preacher. He's as bad as they got on the damn radio. When people look back on it, they ain't had no other choice. There's a lot of no good sons of bitches out there. Excuse me, preacher. You got time for a sinner. You know, I studied something. It's called the delusion. A belief that is untrue. It is our delusion that lead us to sin. Some people were born just so they could be buried. What I'm about to do, I do because I have to. Not because I want to. Wow, Hillbilly Elegy looks so good. <laughs> I, I, okay, so my, my first initial thought while watching this was... The cast involved is so big. There's so many names here. They could all be leading their own films. Uh, that I believe that the material has to be somewhat strong to attract this amount of talent. I wasn't completely sold on what the story was about through the trailer. I was more focused on who was actually involved and less what this movie was about. And that's okay, because it gives you enough to be reeled in and want to see the movie when it drops in a few weeks. So I sort of appreciated that it wasn't telling me what this movie is about. I think they're well aware that people aren't watching this movie for the plot. But that's not good, though. Like, I feel like people are interested in this movie because they're interested in one or several of the actors involved. Yeah, no, totally. I get that. But <laughs> I just don't understand 
it's not good if I don't know what at least the basic premise of your movie is from the trailer. I mean, I I, I agree with that, man. That's the feeling I kind of got from this trailer. Like things looked impressive, certainly. But I think there's a difference between being like like trying to protect some of the deeper elements of your plot and being opaque about your plot. And I, when I watch this movie, it's not like I don't know much about it. I feel like I don't know anything about it. I feel like I have no idea really what this story is apart from some vague character bits that they show. And that to me is actually a bit of a red flag. It kind of makes it seem like the whole movie maybe doesn't know what it is. And it might be indicative of what's in the trailer. But at the same time, yes, this cast is very impressive. The talent involved is more than talented. But uh, I don't know. I'm not completely sold on this movie based solely on this trailer. I'm excited to see Tom Holland stretch himself a little bit. You know, he's putting on the accent and, you know, he's out of the MCU here. And, you know, he's given us some other performances pre-Spider-Man that showed uh, the range of his talent. But I don't think that a lot of audiences are as acclimated with that side of him. So I'm hoping that, you know, this gives him enough material that he will be able to show people that he is more than just Peter Parker. I mean, obviously, I'm excited (laughs) because of uh, Tom Holland being in it. I have been really impressed by him and what he has done thus far, and I'm excited to see him, like you said, get some more kind of serious, meaty roles. And he's got several films coming up that I think will do that and will show people that he really is a capable actor, and this is the first of them. Um, I mean, like, Alexa, play I Will Follow You Into the Dark. But (laughs) I would be more concerned about the plot of this movie because it's almost impressive how little they managed to give you in the trailer. Like I watched it and then I was like, wait, that was a lot of clips for me to know basically nothing about what's going on. I would be more worried if it were not based on a novel because I'd be like, Oh no, maybe they just don't have a story. Um, But I'm thinking maybe it's that they're just trying to really hide what it is. Uh, which again, like, might be a red flag, but I'm less concerned because I know it's based on something. Also, too, I know Will Mavity pointed this out. He was the first person I think I saw to point it out. But uh, Robert Pattinson saying delusions in the trailer <laughs> is going to be like one of the go-to gifts of this year's award season. Like Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems was last year with. This is how I win. So I think that there's going to be uh, a lot of heavy usage of that throughout the year. Oh, we've got our I would gift. not doubt it. Like. Yeah. <laughs> I also, too, I thought the cinematography was pretty interesting at times. Like, it was dark in some of, like, the interior scenes. Um, there was, a, like, a real distinct lack of lighting that I thought was interesting. You know, Antonio Campos, like I said, um, director definitely to watch out for, I believe, and is someone who has given us, uh, like I said, Simon Killer, After School. And if you guys have not seen Christine, like, please, please, please check that out. I mean, that is that is a very impactful movie, mostly because of uh, Rebecca Hall. But I do believe that Antonio Campos is going to deliver something at some point that is going to show everyone that he is a talent to definitely watch out for. So was a quiet place inspired by signs that comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph and The Last Starfighter? Is the Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, 
development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. You guys ready for some MVP film community nominations? It's boring. Very excited. Yeah. Let's get into it. Here we go. So, first of all, I want to say a huge congratulations to the MVP film community. Uh, we actually had a higher response uh, for the 2014 nominations than we did for the 2015 nominations. We had over 200 people submit their nominations for wow. us. Yeah. I was pretty shocked. Damn. And, uh, you know, and I, I feel like I have to come up with a more efficient system at some point because it's becoming quite hard to tally. <laughs> but I really, really appreciate everybody uh, submitting uh, their ballots. I, I had one ballot and I feel so bad for this person. This person filled out every category, but he did it or she did it for last year. <laughs> I was like, no. Oh. <laughs> so to that person, I apologize if something was incorrect in the wording. But, you know. I, 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 got, I got kind of a laugh out of that. <laughs> so let's start off. We're going to actually start off first with the um, film categories separate from the best picture uh, category. The reason why I say this is because so we have best overlooked film, best sci-fi horror film, best comedy, best action, documentary, international and animated film. Right. So for the genre categories here for action, comedy and sci-fi horror and even to a certain extent overlooked film, the goal is to not have overlap. So you'll get a film that gets mentions in like pretty much multiple categories here. And the way that they get tallied is whichever one they have the highest amount of votes in is where they usually end up in the end. This is to help kind of spread things out, show some love to some other movies that don't quite make the best picture lineup. But all these films are eligible to also be included in the best picture lineup later. So... Let's start off with them. Best Overlooked Film of 2014. Nominees are Chef, The Immigrant, Mommy, A Most Violent Year, and Obvious Child. I'm so happy to see The Immigrant here. As I said, I watched it earlier this week and fell in love with it. A Most Violent Year truly is underrated. That was a movie that had won NBR and then just disappeared. So I'm very glad to see it here. Me too. I love that movie. And this is actually a really good lineup. I think these are all great picks. Best sci-fi horror film of 2014. The Babadook. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Interstellar. Snowpiercer. And Under the Skin. Ooh. Snowpiercer. Yeah. (laughs) Best comedy film. 22 Jump Street. Birdman. The Grand Budapest Hotel, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Inherent Vice. Those are all comedies. Jump Street, where I'm still laughing six years later. Seriously, I rewatched 22 Jump Street recently, and it holds up so well. I I love what Phil Lord and Chris Miller uh, have done, both in animation and in live action. And their comedy is just so much fun to me. Best action film. Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Yes. Edge of Tomorrow, John Wick, The Raid 2, and X-Men Days of Future Past. Thank you for not putting in American Sniper because it's not really an action movie. (laughs) I think you mean uh, Live, Die, Repeat, Matt. 
I, I go by Edge of Tomorrow, okay? Edge of Tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most confusing marketing campaigns of all time. God, so frustrating. Best documentary film nominees are Citizen Four, Finding Vivian Mayer, Jodorowsky's Dune, Life Itself, and The Salt of the Earth. Let's go Roger Ebert. No. Not to be confused with the other Life Itself. Right. <laughs> No, <laughs> not want to make that mistake. <laughs> Best international feature film nominees are Force Majeure, Ida, Leviathan, Two Days, One Night, and Wild Tales. I feel like I have to like give a shout out because uh, Dan Bear is not here, but he would be thrilled to to see Two Days, One Night in there. <laughs> yeah, Ryan well, would be thrilled with him. I love that movie too. <laughs> that should have been the entry that year. Mm, I agree. I agree. I'm just happy that enough people saw Wild Tales. So I'm glad that Wild Tales is insane. It really is. Yeah. So good. Best animated feature film nominees are Big Hero 6, How to Train Your Dragon 2, The Lego Movie, Song of the Sea, and The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. I don't see how it could have shaken out to be anything else. <laughs> well, Box Trolls was also in contention as well. Yeah, I guess you're right. But I'm very, very happy to see uh, Princess Kaguya make the lineup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Best original song, Lost Stars from Begin Again. Split the Difference from Boyhood. Yellow Flicker Beat from The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1. Hell yeah. Everything is Awesome from the Lego Movie. And Glory from Selma. Oh, I am very so happy about Dorita Aura. I, I am so happy that Split the Difference made it in there. Yeah, I, I was shocked, actually, that that made it in there. But usually with song, it's like kind of all over the place. And, you know, that was one of those where I, I, I will not I will not lie to you. It, it did just barely eke its way through. <laughs> hey, that means the passion was there for it. Yeah, I'm happy to see uh, Begin Again with the song nomination, mostly. Too. People, you got to see Beyond the Lights. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's true. Best original score: Birdman, Gone Girl, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Interstellar, and The Fury of Everything. This is so close to being my actual lineup. It's just missing Under the Skin. <laughs> Words I never thought I would hear. <laughs> 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 I'm very glad to see Birdman, though. That's a really unique score that the Academy really dropped the ball in disqualifying. Yeah, I I, I genuinely felt bad that year for it to uh, miss that category. I I believe, actually, I I believe that if they hadn't disqualified and it was eligible, I think it would have been a nomination leader over uh, Grand Budapest Hotel that year, probably, because I think it would have gotten that nomination. Yeah, that would have put it over the edge. Best visual effects. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Edge of Tomorrow, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Interstellar. I'm really Brilliant. happy with that lineup. Yeah, that's a really great lineup. Best Sound Editing, American Sniper, Birdman, Edge of Tomorrow, Interstellar, and Snowpiercer. Ooh. Yay, Snowpiercer. Good stuff. Best Sound Mixing. American Sniper, Birdman, Guardians of the Galaxy, Interstellar, 
and Whiplash. You all see Gone Girl? <laughs> <sighs> yeah. I'm also surprised that the community put in Interstellar for mixing. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just pulled in Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know my thoughts on it. I, you know, I that's where I stand. But for the community itself with more people, I assume that that wasn't going to get in. Yeah. No, I, I hear you on that. I thought so as well. But no, the love for Interstellar is is real. That's for sure. Hey, I'm not complaining. Best makeup and hairstyling. Foxcatcher. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Guardians of the Galaxy. Into the Woods. And Snowpiercer. So glad Snowpiercer got in there. Yeah. Those fake teeth on Tilda Swinton. <laughs> yeah, man. That's where it's at. Best costume design. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Inherent Vice. Into the Woods. And Snowpiercer. I am feeling the love for Snowpiercer. And I'm here for it. I, I I have to admit, I am shocked by the Guardians of the Galaxy love. I really am. Yeah, I, I am too. And I'm really shocked by a few snubs. No Into the Woods. No Mr. Turner. No Maleficent. No Into the Woods got costume design. Oh, you said Into the Woods? Okay, yeah. I must have missed that. Maleficent and Mr. Turner, though. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Production design. Birdman. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Into the Woods. Interstellar. And Snowpiercer. Really? Uh, I think Snowpiercer is heading toward a really big day with the community. I'm also shocked that Birdman ended up in production design. I do not understand how that ended up there. I also am really not a fan of the Into the Woods production design. So, but hey, they put Snowpiercer there, so I can't be mad at him. Yeah. Best film editing. Birdman. Edge of Tomorrow. Yes. Gone Girl. Good. The Grand Budapest Hotel and Whiplash. Okay, Birdman. Let's talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) And no boyhood. Interesting. Like, this is the 1917 debate. Yeah. There is editing happening, absolutely, to make it look seamless. But... You can't tell what moments are really stitched together. I mean, there, some of them are a little obvious, but others, I, I get it, but I don't think that it should take the place of something like Boyhood, which is 12 years of film put together, you know, to a two and a half hour movie. Uh, I get that argument, certainly. I still think that there is something to having a process of editing to make things look seamless. Like that is still a skill itself like there is still editing in Birdman and it's trying to make it seem like there isn't so I I think it's two different schools of thought when it comes to it I understand why people would say that that deserves a nomination I don't know if I would necessarily rank it high but if if enough people say like yes this is the type of thing that should get recognition I I also understand that and also too like something that I have thought about recently, especially after last year, is Birdman and 1917 both won the Critics' Choice Awards for Best Film Editing. So I have to admit, it kind of perplexed me then. It still perplexes me now, but I understand the argument at least. Yeah, I mean, you can honestly look at it as like, you know, these movies that usually win that are editing showcases that have a lot of cuts that kind of draw attention to themselves. Well, if you have a movie that intentionally wants to hide those cuts, that is just as attention-seeking as something that is very heavily edited. Yeah. Yeah. Cinematography. 
Birdman, Gone Girl, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Ida, and The Immigrant. <gasps> wow. The Immigrant! All Thank great you stuff. for not disappointing me. It's a really <laughs> excellent year. Got to give some love to Mr. Turner, though. Yeah. And, you know, I... I, I, I you know, I, yeah, I can't complain about this lineup at all. Actually, I was gonna like vouch for something for some other stuff, but no, I'm pretty satisfied. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish uh, some room could have been made for Interstellar, but overall, this is a very, very good lineup. Best original screenplay: Birdman, Boyhood, The Grand Budapest Hotel, Interstellar, and Nightcrawler. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I didn't. I did not touch these. I want you to know, I have no impact <laughs> on these nominations. <laughs> well, I mean, if you did, Foxcatcher would have been in there too. True. Best adapted screenplay. Gone Girl. Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh. Snowpiercer. Whiplash, and Wild. Well, at least Wild got in there. Thrilled to see Wild there. Thrilled to see uh, some of the others. I'm surprised. I didn't realize people liked Guardians that much. I, I know a lot of people who they say it's their favorite MCU film. Mm. Like a lot of people. Interesting. I guess they're hooked on a feeling. I get it. It's, it's not even my favorite one that year. So Yeah. <laughs> also, too, no imitation game. As it should be. Yeah, that's because our... our the community is smart. Yeah. <laughs> That's, or because they listen to us. Yeah. On, on our and I podcast. suppose like, I, I, and even if Paul Thomas Anderson like has his fans out there, Inherent Vice is still too divided of a movie, I think. So I'm not surprised that he didn't get in for that. Yeah. Best debut director. Dan Gilroy for Nightcrawler. Jennifer Kent for The Babadook. Gillian Rob's Pierre for Obvious Child. Yes. Justin Simeon for Dear White People. And Chad Staleski for John Wick. I'm very happy to see Obvious Child get some love. That's a really strong debut. Yeah. yeah. Best Breakout Performance. Riz Ahmed for Nightcrawler. Carrie Coon for Gone Girl. Gugu Mbatha Raw for Beyond the Lights. Tony Revolori for the Grand Budapest Hotel and Jenny Slate for Obvious Child. It's kind of perfect. That makes me so happy. So it's interesting that Gugu got in for Beyond the Lights and not Bell, which came yeah, before. It's, it's technically the wrong performance, but that's fine. I think more people have seen Beyond the Lights that, as opposed to Bell. I think that's it. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. She won, she won, I'm trying to think what it was. She won a Best Breakout Performance for Bell um, Award, but. I mean, as long as she's in and she didn't cancel herself out, I'm happy. Which is what I expected to see happen, so I was very pleasantly surprised that she didn't. Uh, best voice performance? Will Arnett for the Lego movie. Kate Blanchett for How to Train Your Dragon 2. Bradley Cooper for Guardians of the Galaxy. Chris Pratt for the Lego movie. And Andy Serkis for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Pretty good. Um, I will admit, I don't really find Kate Blanchett's work in How to Train Your Dragon to be that interesting, but the other nominees I'm I'm okay with. I'm surprised we didn't see Toby Kebble. Yeah. 
I don't think people know who Toby Kebbell is. And also, too, I find it funny that Will Arnett uh, also got nominated by the community for the Lego Batman movie for the same performance. <laughs> or same character, rather. Yeah. Best youth performance. Eller Coltrane for Boyhood. Mackenzie Foy for Interstellar. Jaden Martell for St. Vincent. Tony Revolori for the Grand Budapest Hotel. And Noah Wiseman for the Babadook. I'm so happy that Will Navity overwhelmed the system to get Eller Coltrane in there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so happy that people remembered that Tony Revolori was young enough to qualify. Best Supporting Actor. Steve Carell for Foxcatcher. Okay, they did it. (laughs) (laughs) Ethan Hawke for Boyhood. Edward Norton for Burn Man. Mark Ruffalo for Foxcatcher. And J.K. Simmons for Whiplash. This category was one I was very interested in because I was pretty confident there would be four out of five crossover. And it was all just going to be who was going to take Robert Duvall's spot. So I'm very intrigued that they went uh, with Steve Carell and Foxcatcher. Best Supporting Actress. Patricia Arquette for Boyhood. Jessica Chastain for A Most Violent Year. Renee Russo for Nightcrawler. Ooh. Tilda Swinton for Snowpiercer. Heck yeah. And Emma Stone for Birdman. I like a lot of that lineup. Yeah, I do too. Best Lead Actor. Ray Fines for the Grand Budapest Hotel. All right. Thank goodness. <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal for Nightcrawler. Heck yeah. Michael Keaton for Birdman. Mm. David Oyelowo for Selma. Yep. Thank you. And Eddie Redmayne for The Fury of Everything. All right, all right, all right. That's all right. pretty good that they you know, got a lot of those in there. Very good. Uh, David Oyelowo really you know, should have been everywhere that season. So thank you, community, for making up for the past five or six years. Best Lead Actress. Marion Cotillard for Two Days, One Night. Yes. Nice. Essie Davis for The Babadook. Ooh. Oh, fantastic. Julianne Moore for Still Alice. Rosamund Pike for Gone Girl. And Reese Witherspoon for Wild. Can't argue with this. Emily Blunt was right there, though. Right there. <laughs> for Edge of Tomorrow. For Live, Die, Repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Best Ensemble. Birdman. Gone Girl. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Selma and Snowpiercer. I'm so happy Selma got in here. Me too. And Snowpiercer. Especially after rewatching the movie for the retrospective, I felt that it deserved yeah. to be here for sure. Best Director. Wes Anderson for the Grand Budapest Hotel. Damien Chazelle for Whiplash. David Fincher for Gone Girl. Alejandro Gonzalez Inarritu for Birdman, and Richard Linklater for Boyhood. That's a solid lineup. I was shocked that Christopher Nolan did not get in there. Yeah, especially that he got in for screenplay and not director. That's yeah, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't have been what I would have predicted. I I would have flipped it personally, but and finally, the ten. Films selected as the best picture of 2014 by the MPP film community are Birdman, 
Boyhood. Gone Girl. The Grand Budapest Hotel. Interstellar. All right. The Lego Movie. Nice. Nightcrawler. Okay. Selma. Snowpiercer. And Whiplash. I am shocked that they went all out for Guardians of the Galaxy and not in Best Picture and said the Lego movie got that spot. Yeah. Yeah. I would have rather seen uh, Guardians of the Galaxy get it. Guardians of the Galaxy had seven nominations, which I was like, whoa, (laughs) including the Best Adapted Screenplay nomination. So Lego movie just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, Lego Movie had a total of five nominations. Uh, two of them are Best Animated and Best Picture. Mm. How many did Snowpiercer get? Snowpiercer, I believe, got, yep, nine. Wow. So I what are these? Like, yeah, I wonder if that's also some residual uh, bong love. Oh, I'm sure. And the nomination leaders were uh, tied, Birdman and the Grand Budapest Hotel with 14 nominations each. Hmm. That's about what I would have expected, I guess. Tied and where was Gone Girl? Gone Girl also got nine nominations. Okay. Okay. And Pride was uh, showed up empty with the community? Yeah, Pride was shut out completely. I have a feeling that's going to appear with our own staff awards coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Everyone listening, go watch Pride ASAP. <laughs> it's on Prime right now. It is. You can watch it for free if you have Pride. But all around, I'm very, very proud of the community here for a lot of different things. Uh, one of them is a complete shutout of the imitation game. <laughs> I'm so proud. Um, American Sniper was able to sneak in there uh, with two sound nominations, but that's okay <laughs> as yeah, far as I'm concerned. Sad. Yeah, that's appropriate for that movie. Well, I guess with the imitation game, they forgot the man and forgot the film. <laughs> <laughs> and Fury of Everything, only two nominations, Eddie Redmayne and Best Original Score as well. Which I feel like most people would probably agree those are the two best things about that movie. Yeah. 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 But seeing Wilde show up for uh, adapted screenplay also made me happy. Damn. No Laura Dern, but I wasn't surprised by that necessarily. Um, that Best Supporting Actress lineup is killer, in my opinion. I love it. Yeah. And uh, I, I wish I, I, I you know, like. I, I was looking at the tallies for Best Director. I really, really, really wanted David DuVernay to get in there. But yeah. Director was supremely, like, very competitive. Yeah, there's a lot of great contenders for Director this year. and Not a lot of people talk about that very much, but there's so many good uh, directors that were up for that. Yeah, I think a lot of people tend to focus on the Best Actor category and how competitive uh, that is. But, yeah, Director was one that was really intense. Yeah, I think the the thing with director that year is we were kind of so locked into three or four people that there wasn't a whole lot of wiggle room. Whereas it seemed like for best actor, you could keep going down the list and it seemed like there was more fluidity there. Yeah. And best supporting actor, unsurprisingly, was like the least competitive, as you said, Josh. Oh, yeah. I really feel like there is a consensus on four of those five. And then it's just who is going to sneak into the fifth spot. I mean, I like all those other performances, but it's like so clearly a top four and then a bloodbath for just somebody to sneak into the fifth spot. I'm curious if the same thing will happen with the uh, MVP staff awards. I don't know. I haven't looked at them yet. So, but those will be announced next week. Till then, 
voting for the MVP film community uh, nominations are going to be going up live on the site, most likely by the time that you are listening to this. So you'll be able to cast some votes there. And I actually <laughs> I haven't settled on a date yet for the winners, uh, but I will include it in the post once I put it up there. So congratulations to the MVP film community. Job well done on the nominations. Yeah, good job. Hey, everyone. I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning. And you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Fan questions for this week. Let's end with this. Isaiah Washington, which one of these films uh, aspects do you admire more of the writing or the directing? Get out. Writing writing oh i'm gonna say i'm actually mm, i'm gonna say writing but it's very very close i still haven't seen it oh nicole you've never seen get out no in jail (laughs) wow jojo rabbit i like both a lot that's i actually am gonna go with directing for that one surprisingly i'm gonna go with directing too i'm gonna say writing i love both so much but i'm gonna go with directing Boys in the Hood. Writing. Writing. I'm going to actually say directing. Uh, I'll go writing. Lady Bird. Ooh, that's the toughest uh, yet. Writing. <sighs> directing. Directing. By a hair, I'm going to say directing. Yeah, it's close. Inception. Oh, directing. Directing, hands yeah, down. directing. <laughs> I've never made it through Inception. <laughs> Pulp Fiction. Writing. I, too, say writing. Yeah, I think writing. I, this is another one that is close, but I think I am also going to say writing, although there are some directorial touches in that movie that I really appreciate from him that really only come from a person that doesn't have all the money in the world, and we don't really get that from Tarantino anymore, obviously, so I appreciate some of those ambitions, but I think overall I would still say writing. M.N. Miller Film Review uh, asks, name the most criminally undervalued film of 2020 so far. There's a lot of choices for this, actually. Yeah, I think the the one that jumped immediately to the top of my head was um, Miss Juneteenth. I love that movie so much. It's a really great performance from Nicole Bahari in it, too, that it it popped up for a little bit and then people kind of forgot about it. But I really want people to talk about that movie still. It's so good. I could make an argument that the vast majority of movies of 2020 are undervalued simply because yeah. majority of the world haven't seen them. <laughs> yeah. So I'll go with one that even people in our circles, I don't think have seen. And that's a independent movie starring Zoe Dutch called Buffaloed. Oh, that is on that my yet. list. I, I honestly want to say, and I know this is going to sound funny because there, it, this movie does have a pretty strong following, but I think overall it's still very undervalued and it is now, I believe on HBO uh, max. So you can watch it and it's birds of prey. 
A lot of people have recommended this movie to me, so I can say it's totally underrated, and it's on Netflix, so you, you could watch it pretty easily. And that is Disclosure, the documentary about trans representation in media. It's a good choice. Yeah, that's a movie that, if you've seen it, there's a lot of passion for it, but it, there's, it hasn't really become like the documentary of the year yet. And I think it is certainly a movie that deserves that kind of recognition. David Mitchell Baker asks... Uh, which of these two films is the best documentary frontrunner right now, Crip Camp or Boy State? Uh, Boy State. I would say it's Boy State. I think, I think especially because of the time that we're living in, Boy State. I'm going to uh, throw out a hot take here. I think Crip Camp is the only one of the that makes it in. Uh, Michelle Faus asks, which acting Oscar winner of the last decade has aged the best? Yeah. Uh, you, you know what? For the sake of ease, do you want to do it each category or you want to just pick one? Uh, yeah, we'll do each category. Let's go with uh, Best Supporting Actress. Lupita Nyong'o. Yeah, I think I have to agree because that's not, not only a great performance, but it's like because it's essentially a debut, it's like you're kind of taking a gamble on this person if they're going to keep giving good performances, and clearly she has. I, I kind of feel like that has to be the answer. I agree as well, but I think that's my reply too. Yeah, if I was going to pick a second... I mean, it hasn't really aged that much at all yet, but I I would probably say uh, Regina King and if Beale Street could talk. Uh, for Best Supporting Actor, uh, uh, the wind that has aged the best. Uh, I said J.K. Simmons. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the most popular one that people still very much love. Um, it, it To me, it's a toss-up between that and Mahershala Ali and Moonlight. Mm. But yeah, with Mahershala, was, you saw people saying it's a really small part. I was one of them. That's part of the reason why I'm saying him now is because I've rewatched Moonlight a couple of times and I really have kind of done a 180 a bit on that performance where I do see the value in it now. Especially because of how much of an impact he makes in that first half that it it's almost like the second and third acts of that film are not as good because he's not a part of the film. <laughs> you know? And I think that Oscar win really put him on the map too. And yeah. we get so many more interesting performances, I think directly because of that Oscar win. For the record though, like JK Simmons is still my answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I would go with Mahershala. Uh, for best actor, uh, I said it before, it's Daniel Day-Lewis and Lincoln. Like that to me is a Agreed. performance that can hold up under any criticism in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a decade filled with not <laughs> not a lot of performances that I love. Um, yeah. But yeah, in terms of the scrutiny, I would say that it's not my favorite performance in this group, but there is a whole other can of worms with that other one. So <laughs> I think for the sake of the question, it has to be Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. I personally, I actually think mine would be Eddie Redmayne and the Theory of Everything. I don't think that necessarily holds up in the context of the year because people were really, really pissed that he won over Michael Keaton. But I do think that after especially our 2014 review that we did of Fury of Everything, like yeah. uh, enough years separated from it, my anger over that has diluted a bit. And at least I can enjoy the performance. I, I wouldn't. I agree with Michael that it's not the one that I would say has aged the best, but I will admit that it is it has aged better over time. Yeah. The only thing, though, is that I feel like so much of this, you do have to kind of take into account their career post the Oscar win. Yes. And Eddie Redmayne's hasn't been that great since then. No, that's true. That's fair. 
And then for Best Actress. This is a very easy call. I say Natalie Portman in Black Swan. Hmm. Yeah, I mean... That that is a good one, but that's also one that like everybody loved at the time, and we already knew that she was a great actress, and like it it's it's a good pick. I know that this is fairly recent, but I really do also feel like Olivia Coleman's win yeah. was like so shocking on the night for people, and it's like they didn't really expect it to happen, and now we're just seeing even more from her, and it, and I think people. Even those who were rooting for Glenn Close on that night, I think even more of them have come around to be like, okay, yeah, she's great in that movie. She's a great actress. She kind of deserved it. And we're getting so many great performances from her since then. See, I I feel like a lot of Glenn Close stands uh, like uh, the exact opposite of Josh. I feel like they'll never let it go. (laughs) And as a result, I don't know if her win can age the best (laughs) as a result. I think that pool is shrinking, though. I, I will admit, yes, there are some stands out there that won't ever let it go. But I think... The more she keeps working, I think the more she's winning people over. Okay. Yeah, I think that's easily second place for, you know, the one that's aged the best. Because you go back at uh, 2010, that's the first with Natalie Portman in Black Swan. And everyone after that has some sort of caveat attached to it up until maybe Brie Larson. But even after her, then you have Olivia Coleman. So I was going to say the other one in contention to me feels like Brie Larson for room. Yeah. They're the only three. I think they don't have an asterisk next to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In circles that I respect and admire, Brie Larson is definitely a category in circles that I do not respect and admire. Uh, Brie Larson is nowhere near the best win that is aged the best. The fact that she's not in those circles makes me like it more. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like one of those things where I, I, I do feel like there is an asterisk next to Brie Larson forever because of that. But I don't, I also, I, I don't see how, I, I don't see how it's negatively impacted her career. Number one. And number two, I feel like those people should not be given any power what or say whatsoever. So precisely. Yeah. Had Blue Jasmine been directed by anyone else, we would have said Kate Blanchett in a heartbeat. I agree with that too. Yeah. Uh, Ethan May, closing things out here. We're going to be going to the year 1980. Put your thinking caps on here, people. Replace the weakest nominee in your opinion from the categories below and choose who should be there instead. Oh, 1980. Okay. Best Supporting Actress from that year. Nominees are, uh, you have Diana Scarwood for Inside Moves, Kathy Moriarty for Raging Bull, Eve Legellian for Resurrection, Eileen Brennan for Private Benjamin, and Mary Steenbergen for Melvin and Howard. I am going to drop Diana in favor of Elizabeth McGovern and Ordinary People. Oh, man, that's a good choice. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Um, we're considering all the nine to five ladies lead, right? Yeah, I would. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure who I would drop, but (laughs) I feel like this is going to be a very unpopular answer, but I do like Coal Miner's Daughter, and I really like Beverly D'Angelo in that movie, so I'd probably make room for her. (laughs) Had she been nominated, she probably would have won. Yeah, Maybe. You say June Cleaver, uh, yeah, Harper. <laughs> Barbara Billingsley, yeah. <laughs> hey, why not? You know, great, great scene. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> why not? I speak jive. <laughs> <laughs> 
Best Director, Roman Polanski for Tess, Richard Rush for The Stuntman, Martin Scorsese, Raging Bull, David Lynch, The Elephant Man, Robert Redford, Ordinary People. That's actually a really good lineup. It is. But yeah. I'm going to drop Richard Rush and put in, sorry everyone, but I'm doing it anyway, Woody Allen for Stardust Memories. Ugh, sorry. Can't go with that one. Don't like that one. Uh, I would probably you earlier, drop... funnier films, Matt. Correct. <laughs> I would probably drop Polanski. Um, and you know what? I'll replace him uh, with the guys that did Airplane. The Zuckers. Yeah, and Jim Abrams. I'm still working on who I would replace him with, but I'm definitely dropping Polanski. I think I know who you would want to replace him with, Nicole. Who? How about Erwin Kirshner for The Empire Strikes Back? I mean, I was trying to figure out if I had any other choice. <laughs> but I think that's it. I mean... I mean, there is other... a very obvious one that I didn't say because I didn't think... I thought somebody else would go ahead and say it. I'm replacing uh, Richard Rush with Akira Kurosawa for Cage Musha. That's not what I was thinking of. Yeah, that yeah. wasn't what I was thinking either. I mean, I think you guys are thinking of Stanley Kubrick for The Shining, right? Yeah. That was the most obvious. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of that movie like some other people are. Okay, but who's going to say Robert Altman for Popeye? Not me. Definitely not me. <laughs> I love Popeye. Best original screenplay, 1980. Nominees there are Private Benjamin, Mon Uncle de Amerique, Fame, Brew Baker, and Melvin and Howard. Yeah, the adapted lineup, I think, was stronger that year, in my opinion. But So I am going to take out... See, I know what I'm going to put in. I have to think what I'm taking out, though. I'm putting in Stardust Memories over uh, the French movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would put in 9 to 5. Yeah, I guess 9 to yeah. 5 is up there, too. Yeah, I guess you I would what? do that because everything else that I'm considering isn't adapted. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not doing two Woody Allens anymore. I'm going with 9 to 5 because. I'm having a lot of trouble finding original screenplays from that year. Exactly. That's why your lists come in handy. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Well, I don't have any lists before 1990. I need to change that. Oh, yeah. I I used to have one going back all the way to the 60s, but um, I lost that file, so I had to recreate it. So I don't have it going back quite that far right now, but I'm working on it. There there has to be an original movie in there somewhere. I'm looking at my list. Hang on. We could certainly find one. Yeah, uh, yeah a lot of adapted. But... Yeah. Yeah, like The Shining is adapted. What else do we have this year? Ordinary People was adapted. I mean, it won, but, you know. What about what about Gloria? Oh, well, that's a good one. Um, uh, yeah, I'll do I'll do that for the sake of just moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, damn you, Ethan May. <laughs> and last but not least, uh, Best Picture, nineteen eighty. Nominees that year are Tess, Raging Bull, The Elephant Man, Coal Miner's Daughter, and Ordinary People. So I'm going to take out the Coal Miner's Daughter. Even though I think it's a really good movie, this is a strong, strong lineup. Taking out Coal Miner's daughter and replacing it with Nine to Five. Hmm. You know, I hate to sound like uh, the fanboy, especially because this is not a series that I tend to like very much. But I think it is very hard to argue for me that Empire Strikes Back is the best of the Star Wars movies. And if they were going to give a Best Picture nomination to the first one, the second one is just as deserving. So I would say. That can be in there instead of Coal Miner's Daughter. I would make that argument, too. I'll settle on that. I would put that in, but I would take out Tess. All righty. That's it. That'll do it here for this week on the show. 
Thank you very, very much, everyone, for submitting your questions. As always, Michael Schwartz, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Nicole Ackman? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at NicoleAckman16. Josh Parham? I am on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And I'm over at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 207 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Player, FMA, Cast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate the feedback and the support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. Bye.